pays pals, pay pals, pay interviews, awesome people who happen to be his pals, pay pals. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. You are listening to PayPal's, and today I am interviewing my pal Yu Jang. Up to this point, Yu Jang is the person that I've known the longest of all my interviewees. We met, I want to say, about 10 years ago, back when we were both living in San Francisco, back in our younger party years. But actually, my first memory of him is when we were both volunteering at a tech conference, and he was kind of running around showing everyone a watch that he had made himself. So he was always a tinkerer, creator, ultimate nerd, and that's what drew me to him immediately. Yu Jang actually is also the consummate blue chip tech guy, but somehow he also is not at all. He's got UCLA, Apple, and Snapchat on the resume, but he also took the weirdest job that you can imagine when he was 19, the summer after freshman year of college. He drove his car from UCLA to Maryland across the country, and he did that to take a sales internship selling study guides door to door. Strange, huh? But honestly, we bonded over this because... My first jobs in some kind of order were babysitting an autistic child, picking up trash in a park, literally just a trash man, and being a janitor at my dad's office. So there's a lot of things in common there. He was pretty unsatisfied as a worker bee at Apple in his 20s. And so he sold all his belongings and traveled the world for eight months. Besides shared values, me and Yu Jang also have a lot of shared experiences. So when he told me he was traveling to Asia this month, I jumped at the chance to interview him. What's kind of funny is that I have rarely seen him in the US since 2016. It's usually in Asia. And unfailingly, he is always in his trusty black v-neck, which you'll hear him make a compelling case for. We talk about the wealth disparity in Asia, how self-learning is a way of life, how his discount Pomeranian Kuma has brought him closer to his parents, and what success looks like for him and how close he is to it. Thanks, Yujang. You want to describe what we just had to do here? Well... That was uh, quite the effort that we put in to get this uh, podcast working. We moved everything into the one room that didn't have a loud, roaring, hissing, whatever sound in the background. <laughs> but yeah, well, now, we're, yeah. now we're trapped in this uh, small, like nine foot by nine foot room with no AC and the doors are closed. <laughs> I'm already sweating. Yeah, it's getting a little warm in I'm here. I'm already sweating. I'm going to have to change it to shorts in like five minutes. Hey, man, it's so good to see you in Bangkok. Good to see you too. Good to see you too, buddy. It's been a long time since I've seen you in the US. Yes, it definitely has been. Um, I guess that's probably more my fault than yours. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing in Bangkok this time? You know, we're, we're just here for a wedding. Honestly, we spent about two weeks in Taiwan before this and then yeah. some time in Koh Samui just uh, vacationing, me and my girlfriend. And uh, now we decided, hey, well, the part of the reason why we also came was to go to my friend's wedding. And so we uh, hopped on the plane, got to the wedding, and it was absolutely insane. It was beautiful crazy rich Asians style wedding. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about kind of the wealth divide in Asia and, and, and how extravagant it can be. And also, which was most interesting to me, because, uh, you know, you and I both grew up in California, where kind of flaunting your wealth is looked down upon. Yeah. Not in Asia, right? No, no, definitely not. You know, the thing that's really interesting to me is that I think for certain parts of Asia, and I, I think it depends where, but at least here in Thailand, there's a huge wealth divide. But there's also very well-known class system within society. Yeah. And because of that, I think people in the very high upper class in, in Thai society, they're not really afraid of flaunting their wealth too much. They, you know, because, you know, everyone knows that they're part of high society. So because they already know that, then they can just buy whatever and wear whatever and, and do whatever in, in Thailand. And, and people just kind of accept it as that it is what it is kind of thing. When I look at the people that you consider high society or just the richer upper 
cast, as it as it were, <laughs> basically. It feels so gaudy to me. I remember one thing you said years ago that made me laugh for years. Is you said that Chinese people were jade and gold monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like it's extravagant and gaudy with all these gold and jade dragons and like、uh, just everything. Yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating sense of taste. There's a very interesting like thing that happens in in these big parts of Asia is that everywhere you go, you're kind of bombarded by these、uh, you know high end brands. You have you know、mm. Chanel, Gucci,、uh, whatever, Hermes, just. Plaster on the side of all the buildings and all the malls, and so everyone sees all these things、yeah. all the time, right? Like they go between stations, and you know, you just go between stations, and every station has a mall, and every mall, at least in the high-end downtown stations, you know, they all have the big、uh, high-end luxury brands printed on the outside. So everyone knows and sees these brands all the time, and they kind of aspire to it.、And、so because of that, a lot of people just. Will start wearing these because it's it's you know what everyone knows as as these luxury high society objects. Do you have anything luxury?、Uh, I do mostly watches, but everything else is mostly.、Uh, Let me see your watch. Show me. I don't have anything.、Today. You don't even have a watch. No, today. not today. <laughs> okay, I didn't wear one today. Okay. Sometimes you know I feel like. It's a little too hot in Bangkok, and, and、okay. I sweat on it a little、okay. too much. So, but but when you're back in the U.S., you're living in Seattle around、yeah. right now, and you lived there for a few years. Yeah, you don't have any problems with that watch because it's low key enough, right? And it's not really in your face extravagant as it would be here. Yeah. So so the thing about like watches, one is that I think they're pretty good ways to store value. Right now, like an investment. Investment, yeah. And so the good thing is you can wear them, and you know they might lose a little bit of value when you sell them later on, but or, or they might gain some value depending on what what watch you have. But、sure. for the most part,、um, you know you're not going to lose like fifty percent of your value for the most part. If it's a luxury watch brand that people kind of you know know well enough.、Yeah. But the other thing is that when I'm in Seattle, the watch. Brands that I tend to wear are a lot less known, and so like I can wear them, and and you know no、oh, one's gonna、on. notice. So that means they're they're well known to the point of only it's like a if you know you know type of thing, right? That's correct. That means they're even more expensive than an Omega or a Rolex. That's correct. Okay, I see. I see what's <laughs> happening here. Hey, so since I've been in Asia for three years, and now I'm in Bangkok, do you think I should signal some kind of money? You know, that's up to you, and. <laughs> Like the thing is, right? Like you know, both you and I, we both grew up in California,、right. and it wasn't. It's not like super well regarded if you tend to flaunt your money everywhere. I mean, obviously, there's those guys with the Ferraris and whatnot, all and then、sure. Lamborghinis just blasting down Rodeo Drive or whatever. And when I first heard you say that, I was like, my first instinct is to think, oh, these guys are just overcompensating. Yeah, like these are actually the people that don't have money. Yeah, that are trying to do that. <laughs> But it seems like the people in Asia that. They are the ones that have money that do that. Yeah, exactly. It's such a like a, a kind of a mindset shift <laughs> for me. And so you know that's that's the thing though, right? Like I think the main thing is is that you know if you feel like it's something that you want to do, then just do it. Because like if you're in Asia, like you know there's so many people here and and they're all doing their own thing and and you can、mm. really just be whoever you want to be.、Yeah. Sure, like you can try to aspire to high society or like aspire to like you know be more invisible, but. Um, in the end, it's really just kind of like a choice.、Uh, my choice is Uniqlo. <laughs> yeah, no, Uniqlo is great. <laughs> I'm literally wearing everything—underwear <laughs> to socks to shirt. Everything is Uniqlo. I'm wearing right now. I'm not as、uh, muscly as you, my friend. <laughs> and so, Uniqlo over the years has gotten more boxy, and I can't wear—I agree—I can't wear the boxy look I, anymore. Why not? So, that's it's in. It's that's in. that's also because it's the like Korean style is in,、yes. and it's like you're wearing a curtain basically. 
have your do you do you want to have your hair come down and have your silver hair too? No, I don't. I don't see you doing that. So. Uh, just months and months of plastic surgery as well. <laughs> yeah, you watched so, Singles Inferno? I, I have. It's like uh, the plastic yeah. surgery world championship. It's also it's amazing. It's really odd because um, you know because because we're Asian American. Yeah, and you know when we see guys like that, we expect them to be like kind of douchey and a little mm. bit like you know like yeah aggressive. In terms of like how they get girls, but sure. Singles Inferno, when you watch it, it's like a disconnect, right? It's uh, yeah. Korean culture, yeah. And that's so different than what we're used to. When we see like a buff, like ripped dude, yeah, trying to get a girl, mm-hmm. it's not like it's it's totally different than what we expect. Like on the outside, it's like hyper masculinized, but on the inside, it's still Korean culture. So it's like yeah. I don't know. There's one guy I keep forgetting his name, but he's just like a puppy. He's just like, let me <laughs> do this for you. Can I get this for you? And it's like, I yeah. guess that's what works here. So, so I mean, yeah. I guess I guess that's what Korean girls like because you know they're very popular, obviously in, in sure. Korea. But yeah, very true. Like, there's that disconnect, right? That that cultural disconnect that we don't really understand. <laughs> it is confusing. I feel like every time I see you, you're in the same black V-neck. Is it the same one from five years ago? Uh, no, 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 no. They used to be because all my Uniqlo black V-necks, I had like twenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've worn them throughout the years, and and yeah, some of them have been like are about ten years old, maybe more. Um, but I've I've thrown out like maybe half of them because you know random stains or rips or whatever. So you know half of half have survived. But I tried to top them up with like new Uniqlo T-shirts about a year or two ago. And you should buy them in Asia though, because yeah. the small the sizes are smaller. No, no, it's it's not the sizes; it's the cut. Oh man, you know it's the cut. It's it's boxy is in these days, and well, boxy, I don't know. I'm I wearing just, a medium. This isn't pretty, not not loose on me it looks fine on you because you're buff as fuck dude uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem with me is that i'm not like some asian buff guy right i'm just like you you're know, a sexy engineer slight, you i have a, a slight slender build with some muscle over that svelte is that svelte and limber compact compact oh wiry well, no 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 wiry is like strong wiry. no you don't like it i don't think so it sounds like really like you don't like it uh, wiry sounds weak svelte sounds better no it doesn't exactly but 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 what i was gonna say is that you know recently i just bought like 10 new v-necks from like this random like brand that i saw online that was like even cheaper than uniqlo and uh is slimmer cut wait so. what's the brand pair of thieves i thought that was like a high-end brand no 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 let me touch your shirt okay it feels just like uniqlo yeah it feels just like uniqlo and it wears just like uniqlo back but then ch- but cheaper but it's ah, cheaper okay. yeah noted so, it's like nine bucks per shirt if you buy like 10 of them you bought 10 of them <laughs> i bought i bought 16 <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I, I feel that this is very intentional of you in some way, right? To Steve Jobs, your outfit. It makes life a lot easier. Yeah. For me. How, what other ways do you automate, systematize Steve Jobs, your life? Well, you know, I think the waking up at like, I, I usually, when I'm not on vacation, I'll wake up at 6.30 a.m. every day. Whoa. Including Sundays, right? And, you know, like some, for some people, that's not that early because, you know, there's the 5 a.m. people and the 4 a.m. people. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I try to sleep at like, you know, 11 or 12 or so. So I get about six, six, six and a half hours of sleep, which is okay for me. But, you know, the automation part, I guess, is like, I will set aside the first two hours of the day to work on like, you know, projects or do 
my own personal learning um, okay. instead of like doing any work. Work. Wow. Okay. So then you said it was six thirty, was it? Yeah. Six thirty to eight thirty is your own personal projects. No. Well, seven to nine because six. It takes me like oh, half an hour okay. to you know yeah. kind of like I get brush it. my teeth I get and it. you know get the dog ready and all that kind of stuff. You're so. still loading, I guess. Yeah. yeah still, okay. The, the progress meter is not fully <laughs> <laughs> loaded yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That comes as a surprise to me because uh, when we were both in San Francisco together, you were, uh, uh, there's no other way to say it, you were a party boy. Yeah. Um, you know, the one really good thing about Seattle yeah. is that boring. Uh, it's really boring. <laughs> is that what so it you is? can't, you can't do, there's, there's nothing to do if, if you don't like nature, which I don't really like nature. Okay. Um, you know, and it's always kind of raining and dreary. All right, yeah. So there's really nothing to do. Um, but the good thing about that is that you get a lot of work done. There's a theory. I might be making this up. I might be completely <laughs> pulling this out of my own ass. Uh -huh. Is that their centers of innovation are around cold places because like people don't have anything to do but like stay inside and work and then like have kids, <laughs> right? So then there's like explosion of population and then there's innovation and then there's like so the they have these like for example they have these new companies and then they have the people to work at the companies. I, That's I don't interesting. Know. I don't know, man. I don't that sounds like bro science. Sounds, sounds like bro science. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It, it, I mean. <laughs> You know, even if you were making it up, I, yeah. I, it sounds compelling enough. Where, kind like, of, right? You could probably like I could find some convince like a yeah. room full of people that I that's could. true. Yeah, I could. But you know, if it's not true, then I, I could also be convinced <laughs> very easily that's yeah. not true. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But uh, you know, but I am supporting you. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Seattle's like where you can get stuff done. Well, you know, it, it's not just me, right? Like my my friend Charles, who moved up to Seattle too. He, yeah. he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, it's raining all day. It's I fucking love it. it, it, it I could get the best work of my of my life done here. <laughs> uh, it just costs you your sanity and like mental health. Or... Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, for me, I, I never really needed the sun too much. Surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly. And so um, you're from San Diego, right? Yeah, I'm from San Diego. And you got it all in your youth, and you're like, I'm good. Yeah, it's like I'm like a sun battery. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of store it yeah. and then just slowly over the course of my life just yeah. like you know use it, it within myself <laughs> nice man nice but but yeah like Seattle Seattle's interesting because uh, it's a place where like you can get a lot of work done yeah. if you like nature you can you know go to nature very easily and it's a place where you can like very easily just kind of you know find uh, an intersection of like everything's just okay and so nothing is great nothing's <laughs> Poor, like the worst and so everything's really just really okay so it's it's a really great place to be like having everything Mediocre. just okay <laughs> <laughs> just, so, so, just to grow older yeah <laughs> oh man yeah i hope i'm selling seattle to uh everyone i don't know uh, that you have pot <laughs> yeah i don't know that you have done that but. it's definitely it's definitely no uh no new york or no san francisco or no uh, Bangkok, that's for sure. But. I do believe if you were looking for those different things, you would have gone there, though. Yeah. Well, the thing is, right? San Francisco is, is its own story, and I, I don't really want to get into that. I think I've, I think enough of our friends have moved away from San Francisco, where it's like it's just, some, it's almost self-evident. It's almost like a, a meme in itself, yes, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the other good thing about Seattle, yeah. no state income tax. Oh, yeah. that's right. So, that's right. you know, that's it's one of those places where you can just kind of live. And if you have like a you know standard tech job as whatever, you're, you're basically, if you're making the same as, you know, California, then you're basically getting a free brand new car every year, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. That is compelling. That's the thing. So you think you're going to stay there for long term? I don't think we're tied to Seattle, honestly, but yeah. I don't know where, I think at this point, we don't really know where else we would want to go. Um, 
Bangkok? I think Bangkok is a little too <laughs> hot. A little too humid for you. A little too humid. And I have a small Pomeranian who's really fluffy. And I think he would probably just like toast in this weather. <laughs> <laughs> he might get his stroke. Yeah, he, he's yeah. a real. He's got like a thick fur coat. You know. <laughs> I mean, what you know, what people do here is they give their dogs a lion cut. You know, oh, what a lion yeah, cut yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, it's like you shave the entire body and you leave everything from like the neck up. Yeah. And then you leave a little bit on the paws. Yeah, it looks Tell terrible. Us. Would you ever put your dog in a, a, a baby stroller? No, I don't think so. I, the, the The problem with my dog is uh, I, I bought him on sale. And <laughs> what does that mean? He's like discounted or? Yeah. It was thirty three percent off. Damaged goods. Or? Well, the breeder who I bought him from said that he was going to be a max eight pounds. So he's Pomeranian. That's so big or small? That's pretty big for a Pomeranian, eight pounds. Okay. Because they're supposed to be four to six pounds. It's like the uh, oh. American Kennel Society or whatever. Sure. Like uh, a standard Pomeranian size. Sure. Well, this motherfucker grew to 14 pounds. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, I don't feed him like, like anything extra. He's just, this is just like genetics. It's all genetics. Genetics. He's, like, <laughs> he's not fat. He's just big bone. Wait, <laughs> big bone is undesirable in a Pomeranian? Yeah, because you want oh. them as small as possible. Is that the point? That's the point. Because Pomeranians are traditionally like the purse dogs. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I don't have a purse, but you know, I, I like small dogs. So. <laughs> he's a he's a big Pomeranian. Everyone's okay, like, he, everyone's like, is he really a Pomeranian? I took a DNA test. He is Pomeranian. Yeah. You but, are uh, not the father. Yeah. <laughs> 100% Pomeranian. This, the breeder was a real Pomeranian breeder, but yeah. I got him on sale. And so this is what happens when you buy dogs on sale. <laughs> Get what you pay for, man. You had to learn this the hard way. I learned this the hard way. But you know what? I still love him. He's a great dog. His no name? Fun. Kuma. Kuma. Why is Kuma such a popular dog name? Uh, it means bear in Japanese. I don't know that the answer to my question. So, <laughs> but because there's like so many Kumas, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's like a lot of very popular Kuma characters. And so, like, oh, really? There's like Rilakkuma, which is like, a, oh, the, the yeah. Reclining brown bear. I love know? him. Yeah, yeah. I, I love, love him, him too. That's how I got the name. Kuma. Ah, okay, okay. I was like, I love Rilakkuma. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to take Kuma. <laughs> yeah, just take Kuma. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. I think one of the times that I, I first understood that we had a lot in common and that we could talk about a lot of things is when you were, I don't know, 25, 26, something like that. Mm-hmm. I figured out that you, well, not figured out, I learned that you had sold all your things and then quit your job and then travel the world for yeah. what was it uh, almost months. a year oh, eight okay. months yeah eight months and then you know at that time we had also again met in asia <laughs> because at that point i was nomading around a lot more yeah. but what was the motivation for that that's not something that people from our background do yeah you know so um i guess a little bit about my background is that I, i'm an engineer like a software engineer um but i was also kind of a self-taught software engineer because i did electrical engineering before in college and graduated as an electrical engineer didn't really know too much about software software mm. uh, and then kind of just realized that I wanted to learn software and so I started just teaching myself but I also had gotten to a point I think after working for a few years where I just Apple right yeah I was at Apple uh, and I think Apple really burned me up because uh, you know three years at Apple uh, at least in the role that I was in felt like 20 years of <laughs> work well, welcome to my law, yeah, law right. job <laughs> <laughs> hey I guess there's a there's kind of a trend here is that I do get along with people who have uh, kind of willingly made a 
intentional choice about their future, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I, I think I need to just not do this anymore and and, and travel and kind of see the world. And, and do you, you think know. it was more of a you wanted to see the world or you wanted to get away? I think it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. There's yeah. there's a big pull because you know I, I before 2013 I'd never traveled outside the United States or Canada because I was kind Whoa. of wait. So you were I was 20- born I was born in Malaysia, but but you were 24 at that yeah, time. Yeah, right? I was 24. 2013 I was 23, I think, and that was the first time I, I never left the U.S. Ever visited? Never, you, never, you never like went across the border to Tijuana even? No. no. Whoa! And I went to Taiwan. That was your first. Time. That was the first time with my friend Ryan, and he ah. showed me the world. World. It was like I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, yeah, like Formosa Chang and eating like uh, <laughs> Rofan was my first meal in Taiwan ever. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good and one. And I was like, after that, I was like, wow, I got hooked. You know, I, I just wanted to travel and see the world. And uh, when I was, you know, when I was um, in middle school, I wanted to do an exchange, a travel exchange program. Uh, but my parents said it wasn't like they just didn't have the money at the time, so they wouldn't no. let me do it. You know, okay. Uh, so I was like, okay, fine. Um, but then you know, in college. Uh, I was just too focused on my engineering degree. And so I never did any of the exchange programs that were available. And then after college, I started working immediately. <laughs> so yeah. I just didn't get a chance to um, do any of those things. Good and Asian so, boy. Exactly, right? <laughs> like I, I, I yeah. followed the, I fit the mold yeah, really well. Yeah, you do. You did, too, you did. Yeah. A little too well, right? Yeah. And so after that, I was like, man, there's that push of me trying to get away and that pull of Asia from me trying to like see more. Was it Asia or was it the pull of anywhere outside the U.S.? Anywhere outside the U.S. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I spent a good amount of time in Thailand, a, a good amount of time in Malaysia, spent some time in Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, and then also just you know all throughout like I was in China for a little bit, uh, and then just kind of popping through uh, Europe, and then with like a little stop in Middle East here and there but oh. yeah I think you know just being able to kind of take my time and see where I wanted to go and just kind of go randomly without like having too much of a plan was actually quite quite nice but at the same time it was also very difficult because you know a person like I think people like me and you we kind of need to do things uh, and so yeah not working for eight months was also a little bit difficult for me <laughs> yeah you get antsy right yeah you start to feel like purposeless and you're yeah. kind of drifting yeah. even though you're not really be- yeah. but ju- just because that's how you're we are indoctrinated yeah and i don't hate that we're indoctrinated that way <laughs> to be honest i don't hate that yeah but it's uh it could be it could have a little more balance i agree i agree you know one like memory that i had uh was i was like just kind of sitting on a beach watching this gorgeous sunset you know with a coconut in hand uh, and I was like, uh thailand yeah in thailand somewhere yeah. in thailand some i think it was like uh, koh tao one of the mm. islands in thailand yeah. uh and i was just like man <laughs> i need to go to get to a computer and start like coding really? something yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, I need to go to graduate school or something. Exactly. How long have you been traveling at that point? Uh, man, I think it was only like two or three months, honestly. Man. You know? Man. <laughs> so it was tough, right? Because I was just like, holy crap. I still have like, you know, quite a few months left to travel. And, and I just, I, I need to like, I, I have this like desire to like work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You're like a sheepdog, man. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, you're just programmed to herd things and do things. You can't take a rest. Programmed to, to program. Program. Oh God, you you said it. You said it, man. Hey, pals. 
Let me tell you about one of the pivotal moments for me and why I kind of ended up outside the U.S. for so long. Is uh, When I was pretty young, I think maybe 25 or 26. So I ended up in Bangkok as well. You know, it's like, it's what happens because the the barrier to entry is kind of low and it's just like a safe place, right? Yeah. You don't hear about people, like not too much bad stuff is going to ha- happen in Bangkok. Maybe you'll get scammed a little bit of money, but it will be a little bit of yeah. money. Right? Yeah. So of course, as all travelers do, I went to Khao San Road. So Khao San Road <laughs> is like... How do you even explain it? Well, people call it the backpacker ghetto of Bangkok. <laughs> seems accurate. Yeah, it seems accurate. Uh, it's it's there's there's cheap hostels, there's cheap everything, and it's kind of like a lot of people from everywhere in the world will just come to Khao San Road because it's cheap. Okay, so right, right. So then it's not it's not really it's like the most touristy street, and it's the most like. It's kitschy, and then like there's nothing really there that's authentic. Yeah. Besides the people, I guess, who are Thai, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then I was walking up and down. I saw I took a seat in a bar, and then I could hear all, all this English around me. Right. It was, but it was accented, so I knew it was English or Australian. A lot, a lot yeah. of them, and they were all like sixty or seventy years old. And I was just thinking to myself, like, holy shit! Like these people have worked so hard in their lives. Uh, maybe they're retired. Maybe they're not. But this is like the big prize that they got after so many years of working so hard. And it was like such a sobering thought that, like, it's just one of those moments that I'll remember for, like forever until the day I die because it informed so many of my decisions after that. Like, I guess, I guess it informed my my novelty seeking, mm-hmm. <laughs> my risk seeking, mm-hmm. and like just refusal to have my life go that path. Yeah, yeah. I, I had kind of a very similar experience too where, you know, I, I landed in Castan Road and I was like, yeah. what is going on here? Like, is, is this like the retirement that I want? Like looking at, you know, these people and yeah, sure, like they've done you know, plenty of cool stuff, I'm sure. But, yeah. you know, to end up in Kaosan Road at, at, when you're 60 or 70, that didn't that didn't appeal to me at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have done things. You know, they've, they've focused in ways and they've been able to get capital in ways that we haven't been able to, or me at least, yeah. not been able to. There's definitely a sacrifice for, for example, for me being an expat for almost about, about seven years. There's yeah. definitely a sacrifice in an exchange. But I'm willing to take my path now over the one that ends up with me at 70 at Kaosan Road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a depressing thought. I know, right? Unless unless I happen to own a lot of the buildings there. Yeah. And I'm like checking how everything's going. But that's that's yeah, it's not probably not my path. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so you were like programmed to program, as you say. Yeah. And then you couldn't stop. So you was it originally planned for only eight months? Or did you cut it short? No. So actually, um I, I, t- I had taken a sabbatical from Apple oh, and uh, okay. they'd given me eight months. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna spend that entire time traveling. Mm, yeah. But I couldn't get away from like working. And so I eventually found um, you know, some of those like hacker houses or workplaces, uh, you know, like WeWorks or whatever, um, and just started kind of learning and building random stuff during my time there. And so that actually helped me a lot because the next job that I landed at Snapchat, uh, I was able to basically get that job because I had program experience. And, and that, that experience was from just building random projects while I was traveling. Nice. <laughs> nice. And then you got laid off. Then I got laid off. I, so yeah. I've been at Snapchat for seven years. Um, oh my God. That long, long time. time. Yeah. I started off in the hardware division, um, Spectacles, uh, and uh, eventually ended up at Snap Research. Um, so I was in the human computer interaction team at Snap Research yeah. for three years and then uh, got laid off in August with the big round of layoffs. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I didn't know it was so recent. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sorry. Oh, no. No worries. I, I actually landed a new job two weeks right after that. So Higher paying? <laughs> Not higher paying, actually. Oh, but really? Yeah, well... The thing is, this job is in, in crypto, but even though it's not higher paying, it's actually really, really nice because for the first time in a really long time, I felt like I was really free. How, how do you mean? I don't know how to explain it, but like when I was working at Snapchat, I wasn't working on the things that I really wanted to work on, which is I really like the crypto space. Uh, yeah. And so I wasn't working on that. I was trying to push for things in crypto for for Snapchat, but there's just like all these walls, uh, a lot of resistance, and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. Yeah. And so when I got laid off, uh, I got a job in crypto finally, doing what I wanted to do. And so you know, I, even though the job pays less than my previous job, I actually feel like a lot more fulfilled in life. And I think being able to be in the crypto space, I've learned more in the past four months than I had learned in the past like four years. Sounds like you should have left Snap earlier. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's the correct <laughs> okay. assessment. Okay. <laughs> okay. We get comfortable. It's understandable. Yeah. I think I think that's the thing, right? Like you get a good paying, high paying job in tech, you feel a little too comfortable mm. and then you just kind of coast. And that is yeah. a thing that, you know, I had noticed myself doing, but was too comfortable to stop. <laughs> I think that's another thing that you and I have in common is that it's, I am very firmly anti-coast. Mm. I don't know how you think about me, yeah. but I am always doing a lot of stuff. And it's only until recently that I started telling people about this stuff, yeah. but I'm always doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think a very accurate analogy that I like to apply to myself is like, you have a duck. Have you heard this one? Yeah. Yeah. He's very calm over the water, but uh, under the water, yeah. he's like thrashing <laughs> and like yeah, pedaling yeah. his little legs like crazy. <laughs> One of the reasons I like to catch up with you is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm always asking you, so what are you investing in lately or something like that? What's the new thing that you're onto? So I guess the old thing has been real estate and I've always been, you know, really into real estate. Are you a uh, rich dad, poor dadding your way yeah. into that? I mean, you know, the current house that I live in in Seattle that I bought, it's a five bedroom, four bathroom in like this, you know, kind of up and coming part of town. Nice. I always buy an up and coming parts of town. Sometimes uh, they up yeah. and come, sometimes they Someday. are a little slower. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's up and coming on a longer timeline. Yes, everything is yeah. always up and coming a on longer a longer timeline. timeline. Yes. But, you know, this one, you know, I basically split it into a duplex and then have the bottom, the basement like rented out. Hmm. And then I have um, my upper unit, which is a four bedroom. Uh, I rent out two of the rooms and then keep one to myself. And nice. then I just kind of live there for free. Nice. Because um, my tenants pay all the utilities, rent, mortgage. Or they pay a mortgage. Everything using other people's money. Correct. The smartest thing to do. Yeah. So it's 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 been going well. And then you know I have my properties out in Texas, uh, and those are doing well. Uh, and LA is doing well as well. So everything is kind of just a little spread out here and there. Mm -hmm. And they're all kind of you know over the years they've been appreciating and also have been paying themselves off slowly. So are you trying to go for asset appreciation or are you trying to go for cash flow right now? It's a mix, honestly. Yeah. So the places are all like in areas that are appreciating. But then, you know, I also want to make sure that they cover their bases in terms of cash flow. Sure. Yeah. So one thing that a lot of people, uh, you know, real estate gurus or whatever will not tell you about is, you know, you definitely need to set aside a lot more money uh, for your properties if they're a little older to, you know, for repairs and stuff like that. So if you don't set aside that money for repairs, uh, that's going to bite you in the ass later on. Uh, there's definitely, especially for older properties, there's definitely a lot of uh, upkeep and maintenance that you'll need to be doing. So although the properties uh, cash flow, uh, you know, on paper and stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely a good chunk that goes back to repairs. Oh, okay. For now. 
for now. And then, and then, you know, once all those things are repaired and over the years, the property will improve and, you know, tenants also get better over time too. If the, if the area ah, appreciates, appreciates right? yeah. uh, which is what's happening in, in most of my properties as well. So, you know, the rents have been going up, the, uh, over the time repairs have been actually going down too, because, you know, we've been repairing a lot of stuff uh, over the years. And oh, okay. so this is uh, a concept called like stabilizing a property. And so once yeah. that property is stabilized, then you get more, you know, predictable cash flows. Okay. You are 35 right now, right? Yes, correct. I predict that you're going to be basically retired at 40. My previous goal was 35. <laughs> How are you doing? How's that going? Uh, it could have been, could be better. Uh, crypto yeah. markets, if the definitely. Crypto, if the crypto market was from 12 months ago. Yeah, yeah. Sure, maybe. Okay. That's, you say that a lot about a lot of people, but, though, right? Know, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. It will, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, it'll definitely come okay, back. Okay. I guarantee you. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> guarantee. Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> so what do you think about the concept of FIRE, which is, you know, financial independence, early retirement, and just what do you think you'll do with your time? How do you view that kind of thing? Because obviously you've thought about it. Yeah. So I had thought about FIRE a long time ago before it was called FIRE. I remember like the FIRE movement started, mm. I don't know what, like 10 years ago. Or something I think like something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, ever since I was like 10 or 11, my parents have been kind of beating into my head what? that you need to like save up for retirement. <laughs> 10 or 11? Hell yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I, I'd been saving, uh, you know, like this is like something that my parents have always been talking to me ever since I was a kid, honestly. Like our, our family likes to talk about money a lot. Yeah. And so. Um, That's very you know, uncommon. Yeah, I think so. Um, wow. But, you know, I think what my parents have always instilled is like, you need to think about retirement. You need to always like think about what you're going to do later on. And you always need to think about like how you're going to get there. So I think it's been very good for me because I've been able to like kind of, you know, by real estate as a long-term. Um, you did this young, right? Yeah, I, I, I bought my this. first property, I think, when I was 21, 20. Damn. Yeah, so damn. And that was, you know, it's been good. You know, I think yeah. it's appreciated since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I do think, though, is that it, it's it's very important to kind of have these financial goals, right? Like to have, to, to know where you're going and to kind of be able to chart out a course. So if you don't have any goals, then you kind of are, you know, navigating blind. Right? You're directionless. Yeah. Your, your, your actions don't have intention. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the thing about like having these financial goals is that, you know, being able to like know how much money you need to save every month um, to mm -hmm. get to where you want to go, being able to know like what, what you want to, what you need to buy and how much cash flow you need to have to be able to be, you know, quote unquote retired. Um, those are all like very important. Yeah. But the other thing that the fire movement kind of doesn't really talk about, or maybe they do, I don't know. I haven't really followed them you know, in the past few years, because I've just been doing my own thing. I guess. Doing your own thing. <laughs> yeah. they, they stole it from you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you know, like even after you're retired, like you you have all this, you have these cash flows and stuff. Like, what are you gonna do in life, right? You mean like, with the money, yeah. or just or with just your, your, your with time? Your time with your money, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like, well, I actually I I enjoy working. I enjoy like working on very difficult problems and and kind of working on on you know building the future of, of like the world basically, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. uh, these are things that are really important to me. And so I don't think I would actually stop working. I would still be working for sure. Uh, maybe on same things, maybe on different things. I don't know yet. But I think that, you know, being able to have that income in the background is great because then you just kind of have a lot more flexibility. Sounds like you would feel a little bit money insecure if you didn't have that income there. Yeah. Is that more what it is? That's the thing, right? Like if you don't have that income in the background, then you're dependent on your job for income. 
Yeah. But if you're not dependent on your job for income, then you feel a lot more free. Boy, who's teaching their kids that besides your parents? That's amazing. Uh, all right. <laughs> Seriously, that's amazing. I don't think I got any lessons about finances from my parents. Yeah, my parents made me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like 10 years old. What? Yeah. Hey, there's a kid's version. Is there? Yeah. There's a kid's well, I, I read version. read the adult's version when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> there's also a board game. Oh, this guy's really milking it, man. <laughs> this guy is franchising the <laughs> really shit. Really milking it. it. Wow. Good, good for him. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> but I guess, uh, you know, there's a lot of success stories like you, right? Well, I think the thing is, right, it's it's more just like developing that mindset, you know. Um, it's, yeah. all, it's all about mindset. It, in the end, it's like whatever habits you have, you're basically just an accumulation of your habits, right? Well and said. So you, you well will said. just keep doing the same thing you keep doing all the time. But if you build these good habits, then they will kind of, permeate throughout your life and okay. set you on the right path. So let's uh, let's talk about some of your your habits. You're talking about money habits yeah, in this yeah. instance, right? Yeah. What, what other money habits do you have? So for me, I record every single dollar that I spend. Oh my God. Yeah. I have an app and I just, anytime I spend money, it, unlike uh, like apps that will kind of give you your breakdown of, you know, per month, Yeah. Uh, this feels more like cash where you are spending, you know, as you spend, you, you feel, feel how you, you feel spend. it, yeah, right? You feel it, right? So like yeah. as soon as I spend on anything, uh, swipe anything, you know, spend cash on anything, I record that on, wow. in the app. Wow. Uh, and I just round up to the closest dollar because it's, you know, paying to type cents, right? So I just round up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So every single dollar um, uh, during every single like transaction, I just, it's, it's into my thing and I have a monthly budget. And so if I go over the budget, then a I, budget. yeah, I have a budget. Dang. And I, because it's a goal, right? Like every, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Everything's, yeah. everything's a goal. Everything's a target. So you were a gamer when you were young, weren't you? Actually, I was. Yeah. Uh, in middle school, I gamed a lot. Yeah. But I stopped gaming after in high school. Because look at this shit that you're doing right now. You're gaming. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah that's true. That, that, I've I've never thought of it like that. But You've totally. <laughs> You've just taken that attention and applied it to something yeah. in real life. Yeah. I don't know where I came up with this, but I was yeah. like, you know, there's like a the term for this for me is EDC. Every dollar counts. <laughs> wow. Uh, go on. <laughs> so, go on. And so the the main thing is just I count every dollar so that I know where the dollars are going. I don't I don't need to specifically put them in a category, right? I just need to know that I'm spending less than this amount every month. Well, well, if you're going through all that trouble, why not categorize it? Or that's so not important. Why, why do I need to? More mental overhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I just want to make it as seamless and easy as possible while also being able to feel that I'm spending this money by putting it in too It's not about what you're spending on, it's the total yeah. amount. It doesn't matter what I'm spending on as long as I spend under, you know, my budget. Oh. Actually that is that is more in line with my money philosophy. Yeah. Right. Is if it's under a certain amount, like who cares? It doesn't matter, yeah. And like, it doesn't really concern you. Yeah. I mean I could spend like, you know, a thousand bucks on like food or like you know, thousand bucks on gas or a thousand bucks on, you know, like shoes yeah. or whatever, but if it's like a thousand bucks, it's a thousand bucks. Thousand right? bucks. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're under budget. <laughs> yeah. Is the point. Yeah. That's why sometimes I see some budgeting apps and I see a lot of people's systems that are like too granular and it's yeah. like how who can stick to this? Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can't. Right? Like, there's no these, adherence. There's, there's so much like like fluff that they're just right. trying to feed you in, in right. the name of like, you know, giving you like more reason to like use their app because uh, yeah, it's right. like a feature. It's that's like right, a feature that's right. bloat. That's what they call it, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you don't need those features. You just need right. you just need to know how much you're spending. <laughs> well, well, yeah. then it's like a like a business as well, right? Like uh, as my friend I met yesterday, he was telling me it's like increase the overhead, reduce the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Very simple stuff. I, I think for a business, like maybe you, you can streamline things by knowing like the granularity of things. Yeah, you can. But, but but at the end, you just look at these two baselines and then you do what you can to yeah, influence exactly. them. Yeah, exactly. That's a business. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So <laughs> I mean, well, I think we figured it out. Yeah, that's that's all you gotta do is just <laughs> exactly yeah. increase yeah. increase top line, reduce spending. Okay, so it's all about in and out for you, mm-hmm. just like bottom line, top line of a business. Yes. Uh, what are some of the best ways that you've spent money recently? Best ways I spent money. Oh man. Uh, maybe increase the quality of your life to increase your happiness to reduce hassle or unhappiness or inconvenience. Mm. Anything there? That's interesting. I don't know actually. To be honest, like uh, I think. In the past year or two, I've just kind of been spending about the same I spent just like on, you know, whatever food or Ubers or, you know, normal life. Yeah. But I've I've kind of just felt like I don't need anything in life. Like, I feel like I've gotten to an okay place where I don't like need anything fancy or nice or anything or, you know, time saving. Um, Maybe that's because I'm not like a software executive or anything like that. But it's more just like that feeling that I've, you know... I've I've kind of I'm just like happy where I'm at. Don't need anything like extravagant. Okay. But uh, you know, vacation has been nice. Like spending money coming to Thailand and hanging out with you. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Um, when you go vacation, do you splurge? No. <laughs> Of course we, not. We went to a you Terminal you 21, budget, right? We went to Terminal 21 for lunch, and I, I think our, our combined lunch was probably like $5. <laughs> yeah. and it was so good. It was good, right? And uh, we're recording in my room right now, and I it's so hot that I've had to take my shirt yeah. off to survive. <laughs> the, um, the AC is not on right no. now. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, some things don't change. And then I guess that's why we were talking about the money and the wealth disparity at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're like, we're doing pretty well, but like... Some of these things that we see in Asia are like confusing at best, yeah, yeah. or misalign, uh, not aligned with our values. We can't say that they're good or bad, yeah, right? It's just yeah. very different. So there's no way. What about Kuma? Kuma. Well, I don't spend that much. I actually did an analysis on how much I spend on Kuma every month. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and and the dog costs uh, seventy dollars a month, which is not bad. seven zero. Yeah. It's very low. It's very low. Wait, so, what is that? Like bags and like... So the breakdown is basically like food is like about $5 a month because I buy bulk. Um, $5? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Bulk, I, okay, big sure. bulk dog dog food. I buy about 40 pounds at a time. And then yeah. um, and then uh, his insurance is uh, thir- about $27 a month. Okay. And then uh, toys. Uh, I buy him a new toy about once a quarter every time like in another toy gets destroyed completely. What about you? What is your take on BarkBox? Oh, it's a waste of money. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the thing is, right, like I, I basically have about 10 toys and then I give him about four at once and then I just rotate them out whenever he seems to get bored of a few of them. Wait, and then do you buy the toys in bulk? No, no, no. I'll, I'll just buy one toy at a time. Okay. At once Surprise. every quarter um, okay. or so. Uh, but sometimes like my parents will like gift toys and stuff. But, but nice. the, the total overall like per year cost of toys is about maybe like $40. Oh, yeah. so, so I buy like about nothing. I buy about two to three toys. Uh, sorry, three to four toys a year. It's nothing. Yeah, pretty, pretty low. Uh, and then he's mostly an indoor dog. So I buy mm. pee pads so you can ah. use the bathroom. He, he's, he goes to the bathroom in my bathroom. <laughs> On the toilet? No, I wish. That'd be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's about like 10 bucks a month. And then um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't remember the other stuff, but like the total overall costs was about 70 a month. Okay. 
Are there other things you keep this kind of granular tracking for? Yeah, I mean, you know, my properties, I obviously have to for business oh, yeah. purposes. Um, anything somewhat unexpected like your dog? No, I mean, anything is unexpected. I just uh, record, uh, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. EDC. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, obviously like going to conferences and stuff like that, uh, some of those are work paid, some of those are not work paid. Okay. But, you know, that's just kind of travel. And so, you know, me and my girlfriend, Kim, we kind of make a nice little vacation out of it regardless. So she'll come with me to conferences and she might go to the conference or she might just visit, you know, tour the city nice. at the conference, stuff like that. So how do you put this stuff forward when you're, when you're dating someone like all this, uh, uh, money principles and beliefs? Oh, we both found out that we're both actually really cheap somehow. That's very important. <laughs> That's so important. <laughs> right? Like, you know, she's, she's making you know, okay, salary as a Amazon um, employee in finance, she's uh, doing pretty well. Yeah, but you know, both of us like we just are pretty good at saving money in general. <laughs> and so we we were like, oh, we're actually a pretty good match. <laughs> I mean, finances is a, one of the biggest causes of split, right? It, it seems to yeah. be so. Yeah. Yeah. So then, when you guys go out, who pays? I, I think I usually pay like. Sixty percent of the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And she'll pay the other forty percent. You know, she's pretty good about it. I, I don't even have to ask. She'll just be like, yeah, yeah. Let me pay this time. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> I like that instead of like splitting, right? Yeah. Because yeah. then it it feels nice to treat. Yes. And then it feels nice to get something. Yeah. But splitting is just like I don't know. It feels like too clinical. Coworkers, right? yeah, yeah. With coworkers or what? Yeah, exactly. Something going <laughs> I agree on. with you on that. Nice. Yeah. What are some other the big ways that you found out that you matched? I think also just like kind of how we like to spend time. You know, we like to just spend time with each other mm. a lot. Mm. Uh, so it doesn't matter what we're doing. We just like to spend time together. What's that like? Uh, spending time together you know. alone. Yeah, yeah, usually. Or like, you know, we can go to like friends' houses and stuff like that. But, oh, okay. you know, yeah. being Seattle, it's a little less social of a city. So <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we find ourselves alone uh, with each other a lot. <laughs> and Kuma. And Kuma, yeah. And Kuma. Kuma. Actually, having a dog is, is pretty good for the relationship because it really helps. Like, what I found with having a dog actually is that, you know, this dog is like a third thing that we can both kind of talk about that we're, we're not always like so focused on ourselves and each other. Yeah. That we have like this third thing that we can kind of talk about and, and focus on. And that really helps actually like bring us closer together. It's like having a shared hobby. Yeah. Kind of. Sort but it's, of. It's a force. I forced it on her and she. <laughs> you forced a Pomeranian on her? Yeah, man. Well, no, no. I, I had the Pomeranian. So, you know, <sighs> it's kind of like a package deal. Right? It's a package she wants deal. to date me. She has to date my Pomeranian yeah. too. I guess right. Yeah. yeah, that must have helped a lot when you were dating, though. Yeah. Look, was there ever, were there ever any negative reactions to it? I don't think anyone on. has ever had a negative reaction to a Pomeranian. There's usually, I mean, like when when Kuma was a puppy, like girls would like see him from across the street and oh. run over, like jaywalk, <laughs> to go pet him. <laughs> so, but but the funny thing is, Kim was like the only girl who was like just kind of whatever about him. She didn't, she wasn't really used to having dogs around. I guess. Oh, and so she didn't really like know how to act and she always thought that he was kind of weird <laughs> the dog but, is weird how, yeah. how can that be i know right but is then that, well you know so clingy dogs yeah, just dog. do weird things right and so yeah sure he's a dog <laughs> he's a dog exactly yeah and so and so she eventually got used to him now she like loves him probably more than me probably actually <laughs> yeah so does he have a new favorite as well i don't know man i think his favorite is my parents 
Like my, oh. he's staying with my parents right now, and I think he like uh. loves them way more like than us. Cause, cause the thing is, like my parents will give him like mangoes on the side, like blueberries randomly. Like oh they'll just God. feed him like random like good shit, and I never give him any of that stuff. Doesn't that fuck up his like digestion? Uh, no, it's okay for like in small amounts, but sometimes I see them giving him a little too much. Yeah, <laughs> and then you can see, you can tell. Oh right? yeah, with his like his yeah. shit is all it's weird, all watery and stuff. You're like, oh, oh. goddamn it, mom, dad. <laughs> But, you know, the, the other good thing about having a dog, actually, is that, you know, my parents love him. Yeah. And it's brought in, brought our whole family closer together, too. Wow. You know, my parents and I, uh, when I'm at home with them in San Diego, like, we'll take Kuma out for a walk in the morning. We'll take him out together for a walk after dinner, stuff like that. So, you know, we get a lot more time together. Wherein, like, before I had Kuma, you know, we might just be sitting, like, they might just be watching TV and I might just be sitting in the kitchen, still enjoying our time together, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, not really, like, interacting as much because yeah. it's a very, like, standard Asian family kind of thing, right? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. They just <laughs> but, talk to you about money, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But nothing else. <laughs> yeah, well, that's during dinner time. And then after that, like, they're watching their Chinese dramas oh. or whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but having Kuma, you know, like, you know, we take him out to, like, the lake and we'll have a walk around the lake. The lake. Yeah, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of li- little things that, you know, we didn't do before that we do now as a family that have been really nice to do with the dog. So it's been it's been actually much more than I expected. Yeah, that is much more than I expected as well. Imagine how they'll be for, with, with grandkids. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Right. It's a dry run. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. So, I mean, they say that, you know, having a dog is probably like one one hundredth the difficulty of having a kid, but I think it definitely helps like get you there. One one hundredth? <laughs> Maybe one tenth. I, I think know. so. I feel like it's, I feel like there's diminishing returns on that, no? It's like, it can't be a hundred. I don't know, man. But it's it's definitely not as difficult as having a child, that's for sure. Oh, I like believe you, that. You don't got to send the dog to like Montessori school and teach the dog piano. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's true. Uh, you will remain Asian. <laughs> Actually, Montessori school is quite, quite non-Asian. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I got sent to Montessori school. Did schools. you? Yeah. They, well, that's where my parents... Uh, probably regret because I, I grew up with a taste for scalloped potatoes, mac and cheese, and chicken a la king, apparently. And king. it really like disturbed my mom's, uh, you know, Malaysian cooking yeah. <laughs> routine. <laughs> and you must have pissed her off. Oh, yeah. Kid. She said it was really difficult to raise me because I, I didn't want to eat, you know, I just want to eat white food, basically. <laughs> white food's awesome. From the Montessori school. <laughs> See, see, Montessori school, white food, all the white, all the white kids. See, it, may, it lot, makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Yeah. See, see. see. Okay. Okay. But that's all right. interesting. So at you're at an early age, your parents were like, "We need to do something different." Yeah. That the other Asians are not doing. Yeah, I guess so. What about piano? I, I had to learn piano. Yeah. Well. Yep. At least you're you're with us there. Yep. Yeah. That was a very difficult period of my life. <laughs> How many years? I think it was like. Seven or eight? Oh, me too. Yeah. Me but too. I, right now, I can only play for at least, and that's about it. Oh, I can play some of that. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Oh, well, just, yeah, just some of it. I can't play the whole for at least. I just, you know, the, know the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> I can play five, ten seconds I of it. I think we're probably around the same level. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a waste of money, I guess. But, you know, to be fair, like, it's it's kind of like school, right? Where it, it's not like what you're taught. It's you're, you're being taught how to learn. And I think a lot of yeah. people will take, don't take school seriously because they don't they don't realize that it's not about the subject matter necessarily because you know we don't really use a lot of the subject matter we're in school. But it's I agree yeah. with you completely. It's about learning how to learn, and it's about being able to do shit that you don't want to do. Yeah. And this exactly. is like maybe not around us, but you look at people in society, and it's like, well, it's very clear that you do not <laughs> like to do these two things. Yeah. Um, 
And then I, I, I recall, this is something I might be making up to. I don't know, hedge funds or PE funds or something like that. Mm. Banking, iBankers, they like to interview athletes, right? Oh, interesting. But you see what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, because yeah. they're like, oh, they're just going to do this. They're going to yes. finish this. And yes. like, I think that is true to some degree. And I can, you know, relate my own experience where like, I think I have a lot of self-discipline. Yeah. And I think I attribute it to when I was playing sports as a child. And I'm like, look, I'm going to run 10 laps. That's what I know I should do. That's my, my benchmark. And mm. someone told me to do it. And there's no real choice to not do it. So just do it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And then I, you know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. What you're saying is, is absolutely correct, right? Like, you know, these things that we have to do, uh, that we learn how to do that we don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that that's the big thing in, in Silicon Valley these days. All these Stanford, you know, professors are like, yeah, this, it's the grit thing. You know, like people oh, yeah. are successful because of the amount of grit they have. And so, sure. you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, right? Like that, that's how, that's what school and all these different activities are for is, is, is building that character. You know a fair bit of entrepreneurs. So what would you say is like uh, one or two major traits that separates them from the ones that aren't successful? Is it is one of them grit? Oh yeah, they are always doing something, always trying something and, and yeah. you know, probably failing most of the time, but they, they just keep trying until they hit the right, the right chord. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they make it right. Yeah, so it, it's it's a lot of like you know right. things that you don't see behind the scenes where they're they're just working, working, working a lot, and they're out networking, they're out cold calling, they're out doing things that you know ninety percent of the people don't want to do. But then mm-hmm. eventually, you know, you'll see their success when everything kind of you don't see the stuff in between, right? In or before favor. exactly, yeah, yeah. They have a good relationship with failure. Yep, that is true. But they also have a lot of mental health issues, you know, that it's, it's very difficult for entrepreneurs, right? Because they're, they're the ones who always have to look like they're, you know, successful and look like they're okay. And, and yeah. they're the bedrock behind like their company. And Ah, you know, uh, yeah. So they yeah. can't show, you know, weakness, basically. And that's very difficult for a lot of people. I mean, that's that's a prescription for anti-anxiety. Exactly. <laughs> <In medicine. laughs> or for Xanax exactly. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But. What's your, do you have a, if I ask you what your greatest failure in life is, uh, maybe relating that to some turning point in your life, do you mm-hmm. have some kind of answer for that greatest failure in life oh, man that's maybe a, greatest turning or biggest well yeah turning biggest point. turning point in life i know for sure uh Ooh. is when i had to sell books door to door and that was like Whoa. after my freshman year of college i you know my parents were encouraging me to do an engineering internship and i was like no i think i should do the sales internship instead well uh, where did you go to college in ucla oh yeah yeah sure. so basically instead of like doing this engineering internship i was like oh, i'm just gonna do the sales internship it wasn't really an internship they just called it an internship because you know they're salespeople, <laughs> but it's really yeah, a sales job, right? Internship lets you them pay you less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this one is a one hundred percent commission based sales job. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Where you wow. are walking around in like a neighborhood, and, and you know they we kind of drove across the country from California to Maryland, and we're just walking around neighborhoods in Maryland, Maryland. Yeah, Wait, knocking what? on doors. <laughs> you you drove the, across the country selling books? Yeah, we, no, we drove across the country to Maryland to sell books in Maryland. Dude, who are you? Okay, go on, go on. <laughs> this is very fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the the internship is interesting, right? Or sorry, the sales job. I, I, yes, they call it an internship. Is interesting because they 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 don't want you to be selling books in your neighborhood because it's very easy to quit. Oh, yeah, because because if you drive across the country, then you are less commit. likely to. Yeah, you're, you, that's a commitment, right? Yes. So so you know, I, I found myself in Maryland knocking on doors trying to sell study guides to people with kids in high school. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, were these like the pl- laminated ones? No, um, maybe. I, I I don't remember. Really remember. They're, okay. they're they're like encyclopedia looking books, oh, okay, right? Okay. And they're like heavy. So I basically was just you know selling these books door to door, and <laughs> I, I, somehow I didn't get the cops calling me most of the time. <laughs> but I got the cops calling me once because yeah. basically you're just asking yeah. for where the kids are in the neighborhood. Oh, that seems a little creepy, That's right? Creepy. But you know, when you're going door to door asking for kids, it's kind of creepy, right? So, like the the good thing about like these sales, the sales internship is that it really teaches you how to sell and how to like have all these different like sales tactics, right? Like how to give information to get information, how to like ask in a way that will like you know let people know that you're not like threatening. Mm-hmm. All these different types of tactics, and also just like to kind of build that grit, right? Like knocking on doors, oh, get rejected, right? Getting rejected, basically, like I you know I'd knock on like fifty. And get one sale, and that oh, was like that it was painful, something. right? That like, builds something in you, yeah, though, right? The, the first day was so tough, right? Like, yeah, it was raining, and I was just like not getting any sales, and I was like, I don't know why I'm here, <laughs> but I was just like, you know, fuck it. I, I drove all the way out here to Maryland, so I might as well finish the summer, and you know, I eventually finished the summer as like top three salesperson that that summer, and cool, um, you know, made a good amount of money, and then saved it for the house purchase in the future. <laughs> oh my god, dude! <laughs> yeah, oh my god, but uh. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely an eye-opening and changing experience because I got this experience that, you know, most engineers don't get. And no. That's, that's, you know, sales, that's rejection, that's, like, these things that are very useful as life skills. Yeah. So, Holy cow, man. Yeah, so it was interesting. It was definitely. Like, looking back and hearing that you have that kind of experience, of course you are where you are. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Obvious, obviously. <laughs> It's, it's it's super interesting just being able to like you know look back and see like that was definitely one of the big turning points in my life. Let me tell you about my first job. So I was yeah. a trash man at a, a garbage man. I don't know Whoa. engineer, uh, trash engineer trash at a. Engineer. Not really. I was just walking around with a bucket and one of those pickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking around the park picking up trash. Yeah, that, that, that's a trash engineer. <laughs> that's a trash engineer. Yeah, and that was my first job. And then my was doing at the same time. I was babysitting an autistic child. Oh wow! You know, so I did those things. Yeah, these are not things that like most people would do, yeah. right? And then and then what I would also do when I was in college and in law school, I would go to the dumpster mm. and I would look for old books and textbooks. Oh, and wow. I would find them and I would sell them on eBay. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah. So in some sense I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense where that I've ended up in like not a corporate place yes. in, in entrepreneurship and like having my own thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes I think that my parents could see this. They didn't really influence me this way, but I think they could see this about about me very from when I was very young. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think they let me have a lot of freedom and they didn't really like uh, give me pressure in any way because they're like, Ugh, I think he'll figure this stuff out. He's <laughs> he's just going a different path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's crazy that I had no idea. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't talk about that stuff much. <laughs> it doesn't come up in normal conversation. Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely an entrepreneur spirit right there. Right? Well, I feel the same about you. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like just being able to see like these different things in life that, you know, we we do that that just makes such a big difference later on yeah but it's it's also like it's chicken or egg too right it's like because we're somehow wired in this way we do these things that lead to this path that's like not not cow sound road at yeah. 70 right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the hope and that's the dream right not yeah. cow sound road at 70 god shoot me <laughs> yeah all right so let me ask you a, a final question or you know set of questions yeah. here what does success look like for you right now 
Success, huh? Broad question, That's vague funny. question. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, I think for me, success is just like this overall general feeling that like I'm excited to do to wake up every day, oh, right, yeah. and to do the things that I like to do, and that I feel like I'm Progressing uh, in life, uh, and that, that's that's very vague. Yes, I know, but mm. um, I think that that general feeling, because you know, there's no like people talk about happiness and stuff, but no one's ever like happy for a long period of time, right? Right. It's 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 more about like being able to like have these goals and achieve these goals in life where you feel like you're progressing. And so I think that being able to feel like you're progressing all the time um, and being, you know, like having a feeling of contentment in some way, but mm-hmm. still, you know, moving forward is 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 success to me. Are you there? You think? I, think, I think I'm there in some senses and yeah. not there yet. What, are there, what senses are you not there yet? So I think there's still a part of me that still, you know, wants to build more and do more and create more. And so like, okay. I, I think, um, you know, that's why I wake up early and, and yeah. you know, like, learn all the things I want to learn in the first two hours before I start like my real job and then obviously continue working on those other things after work too so yeah I, I didn't dig into that earlier but I want to do that now for just kind of briefly so you're you're spending two hours and what exactly is the end goal with that so I think the end goal is just being able to like learn more about like a lot of the crypto things that I'm doing and okay. so like the the crypto space is very deep and very wide at the sure. same time yeah uh, it's basically like you know the internet space back in the day yeah. wherein there's a lot of things happening and there's there's a ton of things happening right now especially in the in the field of zero knowledge and so um, zero knowledge cryptography is a big thing in in crypto uh, nowadays and it's probably gonna be even bigger in the next five years and so that is something that you know something I want to get ahead of and something I want to be able to be uh, an authority in in the future so that's what I'm kind of working towards I know I said it was the last question but now i want to ask you more about this um (laughs) what is kind of your learning routine how do you create a syllabus for yourself teach yourself this stuff what is the process that you go from from you know zero to expert yeah yeah, yeah. so so the thing is right like i think being able to just identify like a universe of like topics that you want to learn about and then like kind of just attacking each of them sequentially right and just getting to a point where like you like are able to like the first part is i guess just like knowing what you don't know and then once Mm. you know what you don't know or at least parts of what you don't know then you can kind of like map out a bigger universe of like what you need to know okay so you're trying to get like a lay of the land right yes you're trying to find what i don't don't remember what the word you said but like you're trying to find the boundaries yes and then from there you can see what's in the landscape and then you can see what you do know what you don't know then what you don't know you can kind of attack it exactly how do you attack the stuff that you don't know it's a lot of reading just reading podcasts uh, a lot of like oh boy. blogs because the zero knowledge space is very new and yeah. so like there's there's a lot of like academic papers there's a lot of like blogs there's a lot of like um, you know there's not a lot of YouTube videos there's not a lot of like you know short articles yeah. so a lot of it you know will be very technical uh, and deep articles and stuff like that so being able to like kind of get to a point where you can decode some of those and then kind of move from there <laughs> is, is, a, is a challenge but very very interesting to me at least it just kind of struck me that you are so much motivated to do all this stuff that you spend, I don't know, 10 plus hours a week just sitting in solitude and reading. <laughs> I don't know that I have that much interest towards anything. And you know, one of my biggest hobbies now is dancing, right? Mm. And like, I don't do that for two hours a day. I think dancing is a little harder to do for two hours than reading. Oh, fair. You know, <laughs> fair. Like I can't dance for two hours in general, maybe a week even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, but I think for me, like, you know, reading, like, you know, if you're sitting there, like you got a cup of coffee or something, you're taking some notes, it is kind of 
of like also a little bit like calming in some sense, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, especially like in Seattle where it's just like <laughs> yes, <laughs> very yes, quiet. Yes, it's very quiet and boring <laughs> in <Yes>. the mornings. <laughs> yeah, quiet, boring, so, shitty weather. Yeah, yeah. Anything so. else you want to sell in Seattle? <laughs> I, I think I've sold everyone already <laughs> on how yeah. great Seattle is. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Now, now, now do this. Sell San Francisco. <laughs> oh, no. That, that, that's an impossible task, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Okay, maybe there's uh, some parting words you want to have. Just maybe something about your life philosophy, how you think about things, how you want to live your life. So yeah, there's this quote out there that you know I heard a long time ago, uh, and that's basically you know the quotes like "Be kind," because everyone is fighting a hard battle, and it's just like you know you don't know what people are going through, and so it's always just good to be kind to everyone that you meet, and you know try to live your life uh, in the best way possible. Nice. Thanks for being my pal. No problem. Thank you for being my pal. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>